You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. If we go back, if we go back 2,500 years, there was no scripted, there was no written tefillah. Every person was mitpalel, prayed, whatever they wanted to pray. Everyone just, their internal inspiration, um, this is the times when there were prophets in the world, this was, people would pray, they would pray however they were inspired to pray. The Anshei Knesset the men of the Great Assembly, and we've discussed this uh, at another time, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but they understood and they realized that we need scripted tefillah. We need an official text of prayer that is uniform, that is used by everyone together. And so they wrote what we use as the tefillah. They wrote the brachot. They wrote um, all, all the... Basically, they wrote the tefillah. They wrote the um, davening as we have it in our sidur. Of course, it's been 2,500 years, so we should expect changes, and there have been a lot of, a lot of changes, and that's why there's different nuschaot, depending on where you go, but essentially the concept of the davening is the same. But it was very different in the beginning than it is now, and uh, th- this is the difference that we're going to focus on. And that is, who did the davening? Originally, the way that tefillah was, was um, set up was that one person gets up and leads the tefillah. One person gets up and says, Baruch HaTah Hashem, Elokeinu, Elokei Avotenu, Elokei Avraham, Elokei Yitzchak, Elokei Yaakov. One person says it, and everyone else is Yotze. Everyone else fulfills their obligation by listening. That is the way that it was done 2,500 years ago. One person prayed for everyone else. There are still... Very, very few, but there are still some communities where they still pray like this. When they finish, Baruch HaTah Hashem, Go'al Yisrael, the bracha right before the tefillah, it goes quiet, everyone stands up, and the chazan begins Baruch, and the entire synagogue bends their knee, even though they're not saying anything. Then the chazan says, Ata, and the entire synagogue bows forward even though they're not saying it. Then, when he says Hashem's name, then they all stand up. And they, they stand there and they listen for the entire prayer. We don't do that. And I'm going to explain why, why what we do is different. We don't do that. Instead, what we've done is we've taken the tefillah and we've broken it into two. What we call the quiet Shmonesri, the tefillah balachash, and then we have the repetition, the chazarat hashats, the repetition of the chazan, or the tefillah bakol ram. We've broken them up into two. They were originally one, but now they're two. Now why do we need two? Why do we need two? Why, why isn't one enough? What, what, do, what are we doing? The answer is that what, um, the, when, when you've got each person individually praying, you're giving everyone the opportunity to put themselves into their prayer and to pray properly. 
Because you pray better when you have to say all the words than if you're just standing there and listening to someone else say the words. On the other hand, here's a big problem, is that on your own, you're unable to create certain rights to recite certain prayers. For example, the angels, the angels, they sing every day, they sing Shirah before the Almighty, and this Shirah is called Kedusha. That's what we're told by the Navi, that the Malachim, they say Kadosh, 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 Hashem Tzvakot, Maloch Ala Aretz Kvodo, and they say Baruch Kvod Hashem Imkoma. We're told what the angels sing, and we're supposed to um, use those um, words that the angels use as part of our prayer. It's called Kedusha. Kedusha requires a minion. Kedusha requires a tzibur. So if you daven only the individual prayer, there are things that you cannot do. You can't do a kaddish. You can't do kedusha. So in order to get everything, meaning the personal prayer, where you get to recite the words on your own, but also to be able to do the Devarim Shevik Kedusha, which is what they're called, the things which you need a tzibur for, you need a congregation for. So therefore we do it twice. Once on our own, and once with, uh, with the tzibur together. Now, what did they do before that? How could they just do it once? It's because when, when they were praying, if one person prays for everyone, um, let's say this in a, a, a different way. I'm going to say this just a little bit differently. We have a rule, a Talmudic concept, called Shomea Ka'one. Shomea Ka'one means that when you hear something, and you have a mind to hear it, and you are focusing in on it, it's as if you're saying it. Uh, I think in the Sephardic tefillah, only the Chazan say... That's what we're talking about, those communities where only they do the Ishmael. But I'm, I'm speaking in general. There's a Talmudic concept called Shomea Ka'ona, which means that if I'm listening, it's as if I'm saying it. Now, if you think about it for just a minute, that's not necessarily so logical. That when you have an obligation to say something, that someone else can say it for you, and it's considered as if you said it. But this is a concept that we have, and that's why the person who sent to lead the Tzibur is called... The Shliach Tzibur. What is Shliach? Me- messenger. He's, he's, he's a messenger. He's a representative. That means he's talking for me. So you can have Shomea Ka'ona, but sometimes we use Shomea Ka'ona, and sometimes we don't use Shomea Ka'ona. For example, in, on Pesach night, Pesach night, the kid, it begins with Kiddush. Everyone makes Kiddush together, right? Everyone makes Kiddush together. On Friday night, you make Kiddush. Only one person makes Kiddush and everyone else listens. What's the difference? Isn't it the same Kiddush? You ever wonder why, how come there we do it all together and here we... The answer is that, that Kiddush is one of those things where the larger the crowd, the more honored is the ceremony. So by having one person make Kiddush and having everyone in mind you're giving the ceremony, the experience, greater honor because it's like ten people are doing it at one time instead of just one person doing it. Pesach is different because Pesach we do everything upside down. 
uh, just to get the, the children to ask. But, but really the way we're supposed to do is one person says it for everyone. So tefillah is supposed to be that way. But for some reason, and when it is that way, meaning the way tefillah is supposed to be is just one chazan leads the entire congregation and he davens for everyone. Except that you know what that requires? It requires the entire congregation standing there for the entire time and listening and paying attention. And that is very, very difficult if you've ever been in, in any shul in the world. It is very difficult while the chazan is up there for two hours leading the chazarat uh, hatefilah for everyone to be absolutely quiet. And if you're not absolutely quiet and if you, and if you, if you don't fully focus and concentrate, you won't be yotze, you won't fulfill your obligation. So in order to avoid this issue, they, um, they, they, they actually made davening much longer by having first everyone recite Balachash, the quiet um, um, Amida, and then we have the repetition. The Talmud tells us that in the old days, when we just had one person who would daven for us, I want to emphasize that point. Not like, I, I really think, when the Chazan gets up today, he's repeating the tefillah. He is not fulfilling my obligation for tefillah. I already daven, because we all daven the tefillah belachash. So he's not fulfilling my obligation. He's simply creating a new kind of tefillah, which is this tefillah b'tzibur, which can have kedusha and kaddish and all these other things that my tefillah b'yachid could not accomplish. But, but in the old days, it was, the chazan, the shliach tzibur, was more than that. So the Talmud tells us that you can't just send up anybody. You can't just send up anyone. If, 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 if you have one person who's representing the community before God, you now have a new problem, which is who deserves to stand before you to talk to God for you. If you have a Moshe Rabbeinu, then it's all wonderful. But, as far as I know, I've yet to be in a synagogue that has a Moshe Rabbeinu. So then who's going to get up there and lead? So the Talmud tells us, and I'm quoting from the Shulchan Aruch, the way that it's cited from the Talmud. Shliach Tzibur, Tzarich Shihiyah Hagun. When you send someone to lead the congregation, it needs to be someone who is Hagun. How would you translate that? Decent. Decent, fitting, appropriate. But not only him. Okay, so, see, if we would just stop here, that would be great, because I know a lot of decent people. The Eizahu Hagun, what's considered... Hagun, appropriate. She reikan me'averot. She be free of sin. Okay, well there goes, <laughs> there goes the list. V'shilo yetzei alav shem ra. He should never have had a bad name go out about him. Afilu b'yalduto, even when he was young. V'shiyiyya anav. Has to be someone who's humble. Umerutzalaam. Someone who everybody likes, everybody wants. Not only that, the Yeshlo Ni'ima, there's a sweetness about him, the Kolo Arev, and his voice is pleasant. Your people like to hear his voice. And the Ragil, the Krot, Torah Neviyim, Ketuvim, this person is familiar with Torah, with Neviyim, with Ketuvim, this is someone who, who knows their way around the Torah. 
Right, that's, that's what we have, right? I, I don't know any such people. I mean, but can so, you find someone yeah, that from childhood was perfect? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's the problem, right? <laughs> then he goes on. Okay. What, what happens if... Um, so, Yivcharu hatov shebetzibur b'chachma o b'maasim tovit. And if you can't find someone who has all of these qualities... Take someone who is a chacham, someone who is wise, someone who is learned, and someone who has ma'asim tovim, someone who does good deeds. You almost, and this is where we're getting into the concept of hinani ha'ani mimas. What the Shulchan Aruch is essentially telling you is that really the person should be perfect. The person should be perfect. You won't find anyone who's perfect, so you know what? Get the best person you can. But you should always know and realize that truly we should be looking for someone who is perfect. It continues. Ein mamalin, you're not supposed to appoint. Someone whose beard has fully grown out. That doesn't mean he has a long beard, but it means that he's fully developed as an adult. Meaning don't send up a young teenager who has yet to... Right? Um, okay, I'm going to skip over some of the things that... Uh, and then it says, Shliach Tzibur. Actually, let's, all, let's hold on to that for a bit. There, these are the halachot for who should be the Shliach Tzibur the whole year round. This is not talking about Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. Then the Shulchan Aruch, again, for Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, says again here that even though we are generally lenient on the restrictions for who leads the tzibur during the rest of the year, but on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, Yedaktiku lachzor achar shleach tzibur, hayoter hagun, find the yoter hagun, meaning someone who's more fitting and more appropriate. Even if you're a little easy on who you allow to lead the davening during the rest of the year, not during this time of the year, it should be a yoter hagun va yoter gadol uvamasim tovim. ben shloshim shana, he has to be 30 years old, meaning while the regular shliach tzibur just needed to be someone whose you know, beard is fully developed. Here you have to be 30 years old. Gam shihei nasui, he has to be married. Miu, however, kol Yisrael kisherim him. Essentially, everyone is kosher. Rakshi yemerutza lekahal, one condition you have to have. The people have to like him. Has to be someone who people want, who people like. Aval imit palel b'chazaka, but if someone walks up and says, the Amud is mine, everyone's heard of such experiences where people decide that the, 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 the Amud belongs to them. Ein onin acharav amen. You can't even say amen. V'chein tzarich shiyotzi kal adam betfilato. And it has to be someone who's going to have everyone in mind. V'im lo sonei. If, he, if there's one enemy who he has in mind, he doesn't want that person to fulfill his obligation, then nobody is Yotze with his tefillah. Okay, so all of that is the introduction to the idea. Uh, I want to reiterate this idea once more. That in order to 
be a shliach tzibur. Essentially, you have to be Moshe Rabin. You have to be someone who is connected to all the people. You have to be someone who is, knows all the areas of the Torah. You have to be someone who never did anything, even as a young person, never did anything which causes people to say bad things about you. But this, even Moshe Rabbeinu had an enemy, Korach. Yeah, yeah, he did. And I, well, everyone's got enemies. But, but no one was accusing Moshe of doing anything um, inappropriate. Right? Even if they were accusing him of, of maybe not leading the Jewish people right, but he was, but 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 we realize when we read this Shulchan Aruch, and even the way the Shulchan Aruch himself writes it, it's 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 almost like it's understood. We're never going to find someone like that, and so we take the best person who we can find. That's what it says. But maybe, we should maybe it's more motivating thing that each of us will aspire to be. Right. So, so that, well, that's interesting, right? It, to, to suggest that maybe it's trying to push us to go there. I'm going in a little bit of a different direction, which is that we should. It's meant to humble us to realize that we're not deserving to stand before God, and that's the that's the feeling we're trying to get to. So in in Hinani Ha'ani. What we're trying to do is right before we begin the tefillah is to uh, inspire ourselves. Yeah, not so much to become better as much as we are to realize that we should really not be deserving to stand before God and to pray before Him. But we're doing it because it's all we have. And when you, when you approach tefillah from that angle, when you approach tefillah from the angle that who am I to stand before God? As Avraham Avinu, when he prays for Sodom, he inserts this line, Va'anuchi afar ve'efer, I am dust and ashes. Why is he putting that in now? We don't find anywhere else in the Torah that Avraham calls himself dust and ashes. It's because your greatest feelings of humility should be experienced during the tefillah. But what's interesting again is that if you look in your shacharit tefillah, you'll see that there is also a kind of hinani ha'ani, which is when the chazan begins his repetition, when the chazan in the shacharit, in the morning prayer, begins his repetition, he starts with the bracha, Baruch HaTar Hashem, and then he goes into misod chachamim unavonim, and he, he gives a, a sort of prayer that he asks... Um, and he begins with Yareti Bivtsoti Siach Lahashkil. I'm afraid to begin my prayers. Who am I? Who do I think I am? So this similar to Hinani Ha'ani exists in the Shacharit Tefillah as well, but in the Chazan's repetition. In the Musaf, they didn't put it into the Chazan's repetition. In the Musaf, they put it before the Chazan's repetition. Why? So here, this is where everyone, we have to realize that in the Chazan's repetition of Shacharit, only the Chazan is really going to be saying big things during Shacharit. So he's the one who has to make this special prayer asking for permission to speak. But by Musaf, we're all going to be a part of it. All of us are going to be a part of the experience of the Tefillah. So the Hinani Ha'ani is not just for the Chazan. Let me say this in another way. Let me say this in another way. In the old days, where the Chazan would daven for us, 
So then the Chazan would need a personal prayer where he's asking for permission to represent the Tzibur and to not, as we can see when hopefully we'll get to the text, to misrepresent the Tzibur. But in our world, we daven for ourselves. The Chazan only creates the second Tefillah B'Tzibur situation, but all of us are davening for ourselves, so therefore we put the Hinani Ha'ani before the private um, Tefillah. So that means that, and that's the first point we're making, that because of the way our Tefillah is structured, the Hinani Ha'ani is all of us that all of us are coming before God and we are saying that we, we don't really think we deserve to, to stand before God and we're so filled with sins that we're concerned that our sins are going to cause um, um, you know, some kind of kitrug, some kind of prosecution uh, against the Jewish people. So again, that, that, that's the introduction. I'll try to repeat that in just a sentence or two. But basically, it used to be just one tefillah, in we, and the chazan would lead us. Now we broke it up into two: uh, the private, the tefillah b'yachid, tefillah b'lachash, the private davening, and then there's the tefillah b'tzibur. The uh, I'm sorry, the private davening is b'tzibur because we're all in the tzibur davening together. But the tefillah of the tzibur, the chazarat hashatz, the repetition, all of that is going to be part of this one big prayer with two parts, and the hinani ha'ani goes on both of those parts, which is why it's before the quiet Shemona Esrei, and not as it is in Shacharit, right at the beginning of the repetition. So, we begin with, we looking at the actual tefillah, hinani ha'ani mima'as. We begin with a very simple statement of I don't deserve to stand before God and represent the people. I am ani mi ma'as. Ma'as, which is short for ma'aseh, uh, that's just the way that the piyutim, um, um, they like to use a little bit of a poetic, poetic, poetic language, right? But, so the word mass, but ha'animi mass means I am impoverished, I come before you God and I don't have any actions to bring before you. I don't have a great mitzvah. Everyone knows that there are these stories about people who, who uh, they did one action and it was such an amazing action that it saved the world. I don't have any such actions. Hinani ha'animi mass. And therefore, and therefore, I am frightened. I am scared. I need to represent myself. Where is the tzaddik who's going to represent me? Not only do I need to represent myself, I'm with a group here. And the chazan who's saying it, he's saying it, I need to stand and, and lead the, the repetition. I'm going to create kedusha, or as we said um, in the previous class, unetana tokev, which is where we enter into this holy place and I'm going to say this, everyone can take it however you want, um, but, but it is interesting, and tell me if anyone here disagrees, that on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, no matter where you are, spiritually speaking, no matter where you are in your understanding of how the world functions, every person seems to have a deeper connection 
to the Olam of the Malachim, the world of the angels, on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur than the rest of the year. Meaning that the rest of the year you don't think much about angels, but on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur we're thinking about heaven with angels and a court and all that. Again, whether you're more that way in a more literal sense, whether you're more that way in a metaphorical sense, wherever you are, but there's this connection to the realm of, of the angels because on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur we become sort of kind of like angels in a way where we connect to that realm and so because of that we become more aware of our humanity again that's the point I'm making when we think about angels we're not just supposed to think about I wonder if they fly like this or they fly like that when we think about angels what it's supposed to say to us is what is an angel what is the idea of an angel An angel represents a being that has no evil in it. It just does what it's supposed to do. That's what an angel is. When we say, you know, that child is like an angel, that student is like an angel, what do we mean? They just do whatever they're supposed to do. That's what the expression um, means. So when we think of the angels and the way that they serve God, it makes us, that's the point of it, it's really, what it really means is we're meant to say to ourselves how imperfect we are. And in the davening, in Rosh Hashanah and the Yom Kippur davening, there are multiple prayers where we talk about how um, yeah, in the angels, they're perfect beings and they do everything right. But yet, Vavita Tehillah, Hashem, you have chosen to, for some reason, to listen to, to our prayers. So we begin with the straight out, we, I'm animimas, I have no actions, and therefore I'm scared. I am frightened, I'm shaking, I'm trembling. It's hard for me to, to kind of picture... Um, let me tell you what it says in the Shulchan Aruch. Shliach Tzibur, a leader of the Tzibur, Shema'arich Pitfilato, who takes a very long time, so that people should hear his sweet voice. Everyone's, at one point in time, at least, been in a shul where someone who likes to hear the sound of their own voice singing is leading the congregation as if they were hired to do a full 12-hour telethon concert. Uh, this person thinks he needs to sing for the next 12 hours. So now, is that okay or is it not okay? So it says in the Shulchan Aruch, If he's doing it because this is his chance to give thanks to God for all the amazing blessings in his life, then then by all means, enjoy. Get up there and sing for hours. Assuming that you pray assuming you do everything appropriately. But if the Chazan is trying to make his voice be heard, it's despicable. Then he puts in, and uh, someone should make a billboard out of this, however, you shouldn't be too lengthy anyway because people want to get home. That's halakha in the Shulchan Aruch. That you gain nothing by causing people to become impatient. 
and uh, people think, you know, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna add in this little piece of chazanut in in this area, and people are just, it's gonna make their yamtov and really just, uh, you know, make it nice, and people want to go home. But anyway, the point is though that 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 what the Shulchan Aruch is trying to get to is to motivate us to feelings. The idea that, that I'm nothing and I'm undeserving. Am I really nothing? Am I really undeserving? We said, call Yisrael Ksherim. Yes, all Jews are kosher. That's fine. But that's not what you should be thinking about when you're coming before God. What you have to be thinking is that you are Animi Mas, you are Nirash V'Nivchad. Now, it says in the Pasuk, this is a Pasuk in Tehillim, Ata Kadosh, Yoshev Tehillot Yisrael. That's the, it's a Pasuk, it's a, it's a verse. How would you translate that? Ata Kadosh, you God, you are holy. Yoshev Tehillot Yisrael. So the way our sages tell us to translate it, translate it is, Ata Kadosh, you Hashem, you are holy, you are above, you are high, you are exalted. Kadosh means like elevated above and beyond. But you are Yoshev Tehillot Yisrael. You sit and you listen to our praises. God wants our tefillah. We talked about this all the way beginning many years ago. Um, if those of you who recall, we were learning this sefer called the Kuzari a number of years ago. And there we talked about the idea that the Greeks believed that God is so great that what would He want from me? God is so great. We believe though, not like that. We believe that God is so great that even though He's Kadosh, He can still be Yoshev Tilot Yisrael, still listen to our prayers, and it doesn't take away from God. God is so great that He can even listen to our Tefilot. So that's why we quote this Pasuk here, and we say, You are Nirash V'Nivchad, I'm so scared. What am I scared of? Mipachad Yoshev Tilot Yisrael, from fear of God, but instead of saying God, you know what we call God? Yoshev Tilot Yisrael, meaning the one who wants to hear our prayers. So at the same time that we, are, that we are saying we don't deserve to pray, we're also saying, but you told us to pray. You want us to pray. And you are waiting for our prayers. Because it's just the first line in the tefillah. Just the first line. We're saying, I am nothing. I don't deserve to be here. In my sins, they contaminate me. They, they make me unfitting. And I'm scared. I'm scared to come here and pray before God and talk to God. But I also know that God is Yoshev Tilot Israel. that God wants to hear my prayers. In fact, God is demanding I pray. And if I don't pray, He's going to be upset with me. So therefore, I have come to ingratiate myself to, to come before you to pray again this is from the old language where the Chazan led everyone in prayer by the way we don't have a real source for who wrote this particular prayer all of these tefillot they were written by someone but in those days they had um, they had like a uh, um, uh, uh, different, uh, say different machzorim, different places had different sources, had different languages for this text before the prayer. For some reason, this was this became accepted, even though there is obviously changes in the nusach. But it, it, this became the accepted version because somehow this particular version, whoever wrote it, it was so powerful 
that it captured the, the uh, hearts of the Jewish people. And so we say, Even though I'm not deserving, I'm asking you, God, and again, even though this prayer suggests that I'm asking for permission to pray for everyone else, we use it as we're listening to the Chazan, as a way... also say this? No, not, not, not all communities have it. Only those who do have it. But even there, there's different nuschaot, um, there's different languages. But even amongst those communities who don't have it, virtually all of them have something where the Chazan can whisper to himself some prayers beforehand to... Uh, okay. So, l'chein avakesh mimcha. I ask from you. Elokei Avraham, Elokei Yitzchak, Everyone knows that language because that's actually from the tefillah itself. But we call upon it now because what we're doing is we're invoking the names of God. So we say the God of Abraham, the God of Yitzchak, the God of Yaakov, Hashem, Hashem, Kel, Rachum, V'chanun, Elokei Yisrael, Shakai, Shindalad Yud, Ayom, Venora. We're referring to God by these names. We usually don't invoke names like that. We don't just prepare this series, this string of, of names of God. But here, these are the names of God that are associated with the concept of tefillah. Meaning like this. Why do we begin with our prayers? Baruch atah Hashem, Elokeinu, Veloke Avuteinu, Eloke Avraham, Eloke Yitzchak, Eloke Why do we begin our prayers like that? But the praises of God, is that the greatest praise of God that we can think of? That he's the God of Abraham, the God of Yitzchak, and the God of Yaakov? The answer is... Right. Well, okay. Uh, no, you're right. Is that when God introduces Himself? He introduces Himself as Elokei Avraham. But why did God do it that way? Right. So. Also, I think that we want to get married because of Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, that they started believing. In right. Hashem. So, so there's, there's two points. Exactly that. The first is, as you called it, Yichus. The first is to say, well, who am I? Who am I? Because I just told you that I am not deserving to come before God. I'm not deserving to come and, and stand before God. But, God, you want me to. Right? Yoshev Tilot Yisrael. And also, I am the grandchild of Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. And so we, um, you chose them. I don't know if you would have chosen the Jewish people, if it would have just been me. But you chose them. And so you chose them, and so now I'm coming before you as the grandchildren of those who you favored and those who did all the right things. And so I'm asking, that's one explanation. Another explanation is like this, and this is, um, I hope I can say this properly um, within, enough, uh, within the amount of time that we have, but let, let's try this. The way that God... Uh, uh, let, me, let me come from a different angle. The author of this Hinani Ha'ani, the author, we don't know who he was. But, but is he from Germany? Or? We don't know. We don't have any information. But, but what we do know is that he was a Mekubal. That it was someone who followed the Kabbalistic approach to 
um, to understanding the davening that's very clear and if, in case you weren't sure about it if you look at the end where he says Shekol HaMalachim Shem Poalei Tefilot that the angels who are in charge of organizing the prayers that they should that, that's certainly Kabbalistic in nature right? so, so we know that whoever it was was, was, was Kabbalistic um, was trying to write this from a Kabbalistic perspective so here's a little bit of a Kabbalistic view of which is clearly what, what he's intending here it's like this the, the way the Mekubalim the Kabbalists understand the world is that when the way that God constructed the world is that everything that comes into this world is through us. We think that God runs the world and He gives uh, Parnasa, He gives, uh, he gives, uh, he gives um, light here and sends this kind of weather there and, and sends uh, this kind of health to this person and that kind of um, family to that person. That, that, that's how we think, but the way the Mukubalim understand is that it's the other way around. God is responding to our actions. That whatever the amount of chesed, kindness, that comes down into the world from above is equal to the amount of chesed that's happening in this world. And the same, the same is true. If you want more forgiveness in this world, from God, we need to, to have more forgiveness amongst ourselves. That's why before Yom Kippur, we ask each other for forgiveness. Now, it's always good to ask for forgiveness. It's always a, a good thing to, if, if you've hurt someone, to apologize to them. Why do we do it before Yom Kippur? Because Yom Kippur is the day when God is going to forgive us. And in order for God to forgive us, we have to show ourselves to be forgiving people. If we're not forgiving people, then God won't forgive us either. I think people make the mistake and they think that when you ask someone for forgiveness on Yom Kippur, it's because if I don't ask you for forgiveness for saying something insulting to you, then I still bear the sin of hurting you. And then God is not going to forgive me because I didn't get forgiveness from you. That's true on some level. But what's more true is that if I don't come to you and ask you for forgiveness, or if I do and you don't forgive me, then you won't be forgiven by God in Yom Kippur. Right? Because in order for you to be forgiven, you have to be a forgiving person. So think of it, it's a little, I know that's different than the way everyone else looks at it, but on some level, when you ask people for forgiveness before Yom Kippur, you're giving them, them a chance to have a better Yom Kippur, not just yourself. Right? So, and that the reason is because things come into this world when we bring them into the world. What we're told is that before Abraham came into the world, there was no chesed in a real way coming from God. Because there was no human being doing chesed in a real way. When people do acts of kindness, who do they do acts of kindness to? To their friends, to people who they believe they can gain something. But to set up a tent in the middle of nowhere and just to have every passerby come and eat with no payback. Like, there's nothing coming back. That person will never see you again, he will never pay you. That's chesed for chesed's sake. And you say, Shlach lach michal pnei amayim, ki birvot hayamim tinsa'ehu. Right, right. so we're, we're saying beyond that. That's a, le- that's a smaller level. That's Shlomo who's saying, yeah, if you do things that, you know, pay it forward, then eventually it'll come back to you. But Avram didn't think that way. He, he wasn't doing it for that, even if it never came back. It wasn't like you never know. He wasn't thinking that way. 
So when he does that, then he brings a chesed into the world from God of that way. That's how the Mekubalim understand it. And Yitzchak brings the world of, of Gevurah, and Yaakov brings a world of Tiferet, so that when they come into the world and do what they do, they create these channels, bringing it down. So the re- when we say Eloke Avraham, God is the God of Avraham, what we mean is that you give as much chesed to the world the way that Avraham did chesed. And Elokei Yitzchak means that you bring control to the world the way Yitzchak brought control to himself. And Elokei Yaakov means God who allows this world to function in some semblance of a balance. We have trouble seeing that balance, but it's there in the way that Yaakov worked all his life to create that internal balance. So, in a way, Elokei Avraham, Elokei Yitzchak, Elokei Yaakov is another way of invoking, of using the names of the Avot to ask God to respond to our actions. And so we say, Elkeel Rachum V'chanun, we carry on and we say God is gracious and merciful because we're, we're praying using those, those names because that's what we're trying to do. And so we say, Hayyena Matzliach Darki. Bring success to my derech, to my path. What does that mean? Give me success. What's success? What would be successful? I think some people, when they read this, they think, allow me to, to do all the high parts of the song without my voice breaking. Right? That's not what means. So, so what does it mean? So we keep reading. And in many synagogues, in most synagogues, the chazin goes into a whisper at this point. And he says, Don't make these people suffer for my sins. Let them not be ashamed because of my sins. May I not experience shame. May they not experience shame. What are we asking for? What, are we, what, what, what is that? What, what is the shame he's talking about? What shame are we going to experience during the tefillah? So, what we mean here is, it is very difficult to stand before the tzibur and to daven. It is much easier to, to daven by yourself, completely by yourself, and to focus on God, than it is to stand at the Amud with everybody listening to you, trying to focus on the words of the prayer. It is very difficult. You need mamash, siyata deshmayo, you need divine support in order to, to get it done. Because it is very difficult when there are people listening to you and you're trying to organize the tefillah. Especially on Yom Kippur when you're fasting. And you're right, right, especially when you're fasting. Right. So what we're asking for is that the person should have the strength to stay with the tefillah, to, to remain with it. And I think this is very important, especially from the introduction that we said, that Hinani Ha'ani, as much as it's just the Chazan saying it, and many people kind of tune out, like they take a little mini break while Hinani Ha'ani is happening, because they think it's just for the Chazan, 
And, and they're wrong. I mean, I'm saying they're wrong. Because if it was just for the Chazan, then we wouldn't have every Chazan get up and take ten minutes to say, Who's he inspiring? Who's he meant to inspire? Himself. We don't need him to get up there. And it, it, he would have an easier time inspiring himself if he would say this quietly. It's, he's trying to inspire us. So, inspire us to what? That we should not have shame in our prayers. What I mean is like this. Let's say a chazan, the shliach tzibur, gets up to daven, and in the middle of, in middle of the prayers, he thinks to himself, uh, I, wonder, I wonder how the kugel is going to taste today. He should be embarrassed, right? And he probably will be embarrassed. And that's not even such a bad thought, right? Sometimes the chazan can have an even worse thought. So, so when he's thinking that, there's a little bit of shame. What about everyone else when they're thinking that? Are they experiencing shame? Not really. On the contrary. People are, people are already scheduling their menu in their head. And they're thinking about which things they're going to have doubles from. Uh, people are, are everywhere. And so this part of the davening, um, in the, in the, I, even though the chazan says it quietly, he should really, we should all be saying this together, is that none of us should have this shame. Meaning that, that all of us should be able to stay with the davening. All of us should be able to stay with the davening. And, and it, it's interesting, as we said in the beginning of this, of this discussion, that today we have an easier time concentrating during the quiet Shemona Asrei on ourselves, but then the repetition, people kind of check out. And, and you wonder if that's why they had to split it between the quiet, the Tefillah Belachash and the Tefillah Bekol Ram, between the quiet Shemon and the loud Shemon the repetition, because maybe when they were just having one Chazan lead everything, people weren't listening, they weren't paying attention, so they had to change it. So here, here we have to kind of bring ourselves back to that place. What should be happening, what should be happening, is that throughout the entire prayer, all of us, from the morning when you arrive in the synagogue, till you leave, it should be hinani ha'ani mimas nirash v'nivchad. And that is the way that it used to be, that people became uh, very serious on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, before all the social events um, started taking over, but it's supposed to be, uh, at least that, that's, the way, that, that's the way it's supposed to be, that we're supposed to be um, you know, scared all of, all of the davening, um, where all of us are supposed to be um, focusing on all of the davening. And then we go, so you should accept my prayers. Everyone knows where that line is from. Right? Now that you've seen what it says in the Shulchan Aruch, we're asking God to accept our prayers as if we are deserving to be the chazan, as if we are deserving to lead the prayers, as if we are zaken, veragil, as if we are elder and we know what we're doing and, and we've uh, grown up and we've um, got, and with a sweet voice and as if we get along with everyone, as if we get along with everyone. Mu'urav bedat im habriot. And uh, I, I can't say this strongly enough. I cannot say this strongly enough. The tzibur, the davening on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, is not 
it's fila b'yachid, like every day, where there is a yachid, a bunch of yachidim, a bunch of individuals, who come together so that we can daven as a group, because when you are a group, you can do Kaddish and Kedusha, you can do all these other things. That is not what's happening on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And if I only get this idea across, it's Kedai. That is that on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, there's something else that happens. I'm in the from a halachic perspective, from a midrashic perspective, from a Kabbalistic perspective, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur is different, that there are actually two tefillot that take place. Every day of the year, there's a tefillot yachid, and then for the sake of having Kedushah, we have a chazarat hashleach tzibur. And Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, there's two separate tefillot that take place. One is the quiet, Shemon Asrei, where every person should take their time and speak to God by themselves. And we're doing this as a tzibur, an entire group of people praying together, but we're all, each of us, in charge of our own tefillah. And then after that's done, then we do a tefillah b'tzibur, the whole tzibur together. This is unique to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and what I'm suggesting is that it's actually unique to the musaf of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Because in the Musaf of Rosh Hashanah, for example, there is actually a process where you have the Chazara with the blowing of the Shofar, with the Brachot, with the Yonatan Tokef, with all these parts where we do um, um, together the, the Tzibur crying out. Uh, I, I've been in shuls where when the, when the Chazan finishes, mi yishafel, mi arum, from Anatana Tokev, as we explained in the previous class. And then, utishuva utfila utsudaka mavirin at roagzeh, which is the next line, it's so thunderous that you think the roof is going to fly off the building. Because the tzibur is living, Anatana Tokev, and everyone's feeling that, that fright of the emat yomadin, and then we realize that it's in our hands. And so Uteshuvah says, Kol Ram, right? So in some places, you know, they get through the words so that they can listen to the, to the chazan begin his, his chazanus shtickle. But, but here, there's actually an entire, and that's why we have Hinani Ha'ani that precedes the Musaf, where we're asking God to help all of us pray properly so that we can, we can accomplish this. But it, this. And so when the tzibur is doing chazarat, ashliach tzibur, when, when this is happening, there needs to be a sense of oneness in the congregation. And everyone's been there. Everyone's been in a shul where it felt like during the kedusha, for example, I'm using the kedusha as an example, where it feels like the entire shul is one person. I'm sure you've had once or twice that experience in the right place. And then you go places and it just looks like everyone wants to go home. And that's, that's, what, we're, that's what we're trying to get to in, in, in the, the davening of, of, of Rosh Hashanah, certainly during this part. This entire tefillah is in order to bring us to this place. And we'll finish with the final points that, that are made here. Um, actually, there's too, but Vyuna Digalenu Alacha Ahava of Shainu Tahase Baava, the Khalzarot, Viraot, Afahlanu Lanu Lokal Yisrael Sason, Sim Khalachaim Shalom, Ha Emet Va Shalom, Ha Havu. It goes on to um, ask for, for positive things. But I wanna I wanna talk about a, a I only have two minutes, so let's try to do this. Vyhina 
Digalenu alecha ahava. Some have digalenu. Digalenu means our flag, but digalenu also means our connection to you, because like degal represents. But also there's another language, dilugenu. So I'm going to share with you what is not the explanation of, of, the, of the words Dilugenu Alacha'ava. Everyone knows, everyone knows the famous story of the Baal Shem Tov. Everyone knows the famous story of the Baal Shem Tov, that the shepherd boy who came into the synagogue where the Baal Shem Tov was, and uh, there's different versions of the story, but in one of the versions of the story, he recites the Aleph Bet. The shepherd boy comes into the synagogue and he doesn't know how to pray, he doesn't know how to say anything. But in the front of every siddur, as you know, in front of every siddur there's a, a list of the Aleph Bet, and you know, at least he went to kindergarten. And so he just starts reading Aleph Bet, Gimel Dal, he's doing this very loud and he's disturbing people. And people want him to be quiet and the Baal Shem Tov says, no, 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 you should know that he's reciting the Aleph Bet and God is taking those letters and is assembling the words of the tefillah. Everyone's heard some version of that story and I, 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 I chose the shortest version. But what's the point of this, of, 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 of the story? It's that, it's that God is not so much concerned about how well you daven and how beautiful you sing. And we make Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur about that. We, it, it turns into a concert experience in some places. And in some places it just becomes you know, something fun and exciting. But it's supposed to be with humility, with a broken heart. It's supposed to be the whole davening should be we should feel like we don't even deserve to be here and we don't. And so the point of this story is to suggest that God wants your heart a lot more than He wants your prayers. In fact, in fact, it may even be better if you would just recite the Aleph Base. Because if you would just recite the Aleph Base and let God assemble the prayers, it won't be filled with all of the, the ego which exists in the tefillot when you assemble them and turn them into words. And so on some level, like to, to be, our sages tell us, that vidiglo alayahava vliglugo alayahava, our sages say. Meaning that God sometimes likes it when people make mistakes with words. You know how sometimes people make a mistake with their words and it comes out like a Freudian slip of some kind? So in our davening, we sometimes make Freudian slips like that as well. Vidliglugo alayahava, that our sages say, that God kind of enjoys um, the mistakes and the silliness. Uh, exactly what that means is, yeah, I'm, I'm out of time, so I can't go there. But the point I'm making, is that we shouldn't be lost so much in the technicalities of the experience and the songs and the... Those are all nice things. But more important is what's going on, what's going on within our hearts. Where, where are your emotions as you begin your tefillah? And, and sometimes we need a reminder. I, 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 I sometimes... Um, um, you know, wish that uh, um, before before every before every prayer that someone can come and give me like a, a good five minute motivational speech about how this davening is going to be the most important davening ever, and then then I'll be able to daven, right? Maybe maybe that's what we should be doing. Maybe there are parts of the davening that inspire us to do that. Maybe the l'shem yichud before davening is supposed to do that. But that's something that we could all benefit from. Is is a few moments of. So that's what Hinani Ha'animi Mas is. It's taking 
five minutes or 15, depending on the kind of chazan you have. But it's taking um, a, a, a little bit of time and saying that to stand before God is no simple matter. And I want to get myself into the right place. So I'm not here, we're not having a class today on where your mind should be before you begin Musaf and Rosh Hashanah. But the class today is that you should be in charge of where your mind is when you begin Musaf and Rosh Hashanah. You should make a decision as to where you should be. And we'll finish with this one final point. There was a great rabbi who was copying Al-Khayt on Yom Kippur and he, as he began Al-Khayt he fainted fainted. So all the Hasidim, they ran around the Rebbe and they lifted him up. Afterwards they said to him, what happened? He said, I was saying Al-Khayt. And he said, and they said, and, 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 and the Al-Khayt, you know, scared you? It, he said, no, no, I was fine when I said Al-Khayt. And then I was fine when I said the word Shechatanu. But then the next word I said was Lefanecha. I sinned before you, he said, I found myself standing before God saying, Shechatanu lefanecha. At that point, he was so overwhelmed by standing before God and admitting to God that he had sinned before him that he fainted. If there's ever a time of the year when you are me ata omed, to know who you're standing before, it's, it's Musaf of Rosh Hashanah. It's when you are going to be mamlich HaKadosh Baruch HaKalo Olam with Zecharonot and Shofarot and all the beautiful aspects of the Tefillah and the Shabbach and everything that's in there. These, when you are listening to Hinani Ha'ani, really you should be saying Hinani Ha'ani. The Chazan is saying it for you. But you should be thinking about your own Hinani Ha'ani. What have you done all year? Where are you? Do you deserve to stand before God? And do you deserve to pray? And how much mercy are you asking before God that He shall allow you to pray before Him? To allow you to come and not just to pray for yourself, but everyone's praying for someone else. Everyone is pray- praying for someone else. Everyone is a shliach tzibur. Everyone is a shliach tzibur. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.